So I was reading a newspaper column this week uh, which began like this. I'm not sure how much longer this country can deal with these levels of anxiety. Everyone appears exhausted after five years of Brexit, COVID, the cost of living crisis, culture wars and political chaos. Our adrenaline levels are through the roof. The country is beginning to feel like four-year-old Prince Louis after hours of jubilee celebrations and sugar rushes. Frazzled and mildly hysterical, but with increasingly few grown-ups to calm us down. I'm not sure if that final metaphor actually worked, but I think she thought it was a good line, and so she was going to keep it in there. And I kind of agree. But that sense of, when is this going to stop? <laughs> when is this going to get better? When is this going to calm down? It feels like there's a lot of that in the air at the moment. And that's just what's going on, like, you know, the whole world. There might be plenty of things going on for you in your life. You're like, I'm just waiting for this to stop, and I've got all this other stuff I'm trying to deal with as well. You know, we can't always see or understand what God is doing in our lives, our lives directly and the whole world. But seeing how he works in the lives of others can give us clues about this. And those clues can give us faith. So we aren't just enduring what's going on, but we're believing God and following him through it. And this is why I think the book of Ruth is a book we, re- we really need right now. Because it is set at a time of anxiety and chaos. We're going to look at that in a few minutes. And it's at this crazy time, but it also is a time in which God is doing things. And those things that he does, we've spent the last few months looking at God doing really spectacular things. Really amazing things and believing him for that. But the things that God does in this story are actually very kind of subtle. They're very quiet. And people don't even necessarily realize the scale of what he's doing until way, way afterwards. And so Ruth shows us that God does this and God is able to do this. And Ruth also shows us how we can live in these times and how even significant significance, real significance, can be worked out in just really small things that we do. And so that's why we want to look at this book over the next few weeks. And that's what we believe in God for, that we will have greater faith and trust in him and that we will be able to take steps of faith and obedience following him and be used by him in all sorts of ways. So why don't we pray that God would do that for us uh, this week and in the weeks to come. Lord, we, we do look around the world and we, many of us can look into our lives as well and think, what is going on? And yet we believe, as we've sung today, that you rule and you reign. And Lord, we're not going to understand all the ways that those things connect, but we can trust you. And so we ask that you would give us faith. Help us through this story to see who you are and what you love to do. Help us through this story to see what you're calling us to do and to be. But we thank you that we are not alone. We thank you that we are not without hope. Please, Holy Spirit, come and make every single person in this room right now aware of that. Amen. Amen. We're going to start with the opening few lines, which would be easier for me to read if I'd brought my Bible up from my back. So I'm just going to go and do that. There it is. All right. This is a fairly hopeless scene. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, 
and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Mahlon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah and the name of the other Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Mahlon and Kilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. This is the word of the Lord, and this is clearly a sad story. It doesn't take any deep theological insight to kind of read that and think, that sounds awful. But the writer is saying more to us than that, and I want us to get that because it will help us to understand this whole story, but it will also help us to hear God today. We could perhaps summarize what Elimelech does as how not to respond to a crisis. And let me explain why. Because we're told that he was a man of Bethlehem in Judah. And that means he was an Israelite. He was part of the chosen people of God. They were the ones who God was going to use uh, to bless the whole world. And the way God began to do that was that he, he started them off as a people. They were enslaved in Egypt and he rescued them out of Egypt and he brought them into the promised land. And that land was going to be the place where God would dwell. He would be there with them in a covenant relationship with him. That is a relationship of commitment and obligation. God said, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to bless you. You are to stay faithful to me. And as they did that, as they obeyed God's commands, they would be displaying to the whole world what God was like. And the world would see and the world would be drawn to their God, the one true God. And so when Israel obeyed, God said, when you do what I tell you to do, I will bless you. Deuteronomy 28, 11 to 12 says, The Lord will make you abound in prosperity, in the fruit of your womb, and in the fruit of your livestock, and in the fruit of your ground, within the land that the Lord swore to your fathers to give you. The Lord will open to you his good treasury, the heavens, to give the rain to your land in its season, and to bless all the work of your hands. And you shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. What a great deal. But if they didn't stay faithful to him, he would make things hard for them in the hope that they would realize that they were doing wrong things and return to him. Enemies would invade and diseases would spread. Rain would not fall and crops would fail. Flocks and herds and people would perish. The book of Judges is about what happened when God brought his people into that land and they began to settle in it, and it's basically bad. That's essentially what happens in this book. It's one of the more depressing books to read in Scripture. Despite all that God had done, despite all that he had promised to them and all that he threatened them with, God's people just get stuck in this pattern of behavior again and again and again. They give up on him and do their own thing. They rebel against him. They often go after other gods or something like that. And God punishes them to get their attention. It's like, where have you gone? What are you doing? Remember the one who gave you all your life. In the course of that punishment, they remember him. They repent. They cry out to him for rescue. And so he raises up a deliverer, a judge, who saves them. And then it all happens all over again. 
And then it happens all over again. And then it happens again and again and again. And they never learn. And things just get worse and worse and worse. And the book ends with this final line. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. When you're in a covenant relationship with God Almighty, that is not the way to live. In fact, when you are a creature of God Almighty, that is not the way to live. And it's in this context, at this time of chaos, of ups and downs, of people being all over the place, that Ruth's story begins in the days when the judges ruled. Given that that's the background, it's perhaps not surprising to learn that there was a famine at that time. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. For the people who wrote this story and their first listeners, that almost certainly is a description of God's discipline of his people for rebelling against him. Now, caveat side note. This obviously raises the question of whether or not, you know, the things that we're experiencing at the moment, either personally or as a nation or whatever, are God's punishment. And a lot could be said about that, and a lot is elsewhere. My brief answer would be, That firstly, God relates to no nation on earth now as he related to Israel in the Old Testament. So although there are loads of parallels and things that we can learn from their relationship, there's no land land on earth now being treated in that way. If you read the whole of the Old Testament, moreover, you will see that things are not as simple as good people always get blessed and bad people always get in trouble. And a lot of the Old Testament is asking, why is this not the case? Nevertheless, actions do have consequences in this life and in the judgment to come. So that's a very quick, insubstantial answer, but I felt I needed to at least do that. So back to our story, there's a famine. Now, there are several examples in the Old Testament of famines being used by God to advance his purposes for history. And this turns out to be one of them. But the response that he was looking for from his people when he brought a famine was that they would turn back to him, that they would repent He described it most famously to King Solomon a few centuries later in 2 Chronicles 7. said, when I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence among my people, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. That's what you're meant to do. That is not what Elimelech does. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So repent. But no. A man of Bethlehem in Judah, part of the people of God, my people who are called by my name, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. He left the land of promise and went to get food elsewhere. You can apparently see the hills of Moab from Bethlehem. The grass almost certainly looks greener because there's a famine in Bethlehem. So there's no green grass. And you look over there and you think, it's pretty good over there. And so Elimelech made the practical decision. The the best decision he could think of that would help his family was to go where there would be food. And this is the first of three times in Ruth where people make decisions that are, well, they're basically very sensible They're totally understandable, and they mean that the people making the decisions miss out on the purposes of God. 
And these three decisions are paired with three other decisions to trust God, even though it's risky, costly, possibly unwise. See, Ruth may not be a book in which a lot of spectacular things happen, but it's all about faith. It's all about trusting God and what happens when we do that and what he does when we do that. And that is what Elimelech gets wrong. What matters far more than where he went is that he moved away from where God had called him to be. God was like, stay in this land and repent. Elimelech's like, okay, I'm going to leave. That is a failure to trust God. It might be understandable. It might be something that we feel like, I've done that. Sure, well, we'll get to that. But he wasn't believing God. He walked by sight and not by faith. And that's the wrong way around if you're a member of the people of God. Just to give you a little bit of context, because this will matter through the rest of the story, there aren't any great options if an Israelite is going to leave the promised land, but Moab is definitely a really bad one. So the Moabites were ancient relatives of Israel. They have a very unsavory backstory. In the past, they had paid a sorcerer to curse Israel. Um, That hadn't worked, and so they got their women to seduce Israelite men to worship false gods instead. During the period of the judges, uh, Moab ruled over Israel for 18 years. That was bad news. And so to choose to go to Moab, however sensible it may have seemed, was the wrong decision. Now, what followed was tragic. And although Elimelech clearly has made the wrong decision, I don't think we're meant to see this as God's punishment of Elimelech directly, so much as the sad irony of what can happen when we take things into our own hands rather than trusting God. They went into the country of Moab and remained there, but Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died. He died. Why have you gone to Moab, Elimelech? I want to live. What's the only thing we're told happens to him in Moab? He dies. And things get even worse. The family's survival depends on them producing children. So both sons marry Moabite women. And again, given the history, it's a questionable choice. But after 10 years of marriage, there are no children. And then both sons die. And now we're just, it's just Naomi. She's the only one left. She's got no one, it seems, to care for her and provide for her. In that culture, there's no state support. You have a family, and if your family's gone, then you have a clan. But Naomi doesn't have either of those because she's in a foreign land. So this is how we are. A widow who's buried her husband and her two sons. Oh, Elimelech, this was not what you wanted at all. After so much going wrong, something finally goes right. Naomi goes home. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab. This is the right decision. This is good news. Not because home is where the heart is, I mean, Naomi has buried her heart in three parts in the land of Moab. And it's not because home is where the food is, because we're not told that there was any kind of famine in Moab. Now, this is good news because for an Israelite, home is where the hope is. Home is where God is. And she who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. Under his wings you will find refuge His faithfulness is a shield. 
That's the promise of Psalm 91. And Naomi was about to discover that it was true. We're told that she returned. And that's an important word. It's an important word for this chapter. It's repeated 11 times uh, following this because it, it obviously mean, it can mean physically moving back to where you were, but it means more than that. Obviously, there's a metaphor there. There's a spiritual sense of returning, meaning repentance, to come back to God. And Naomi is doing that literally and spiritually. And just as God had promised great blessings for those who obeyed him, terrible curses for those who disobeyed him, so he also promised incredible grace for his people when they repented. Deuteronomy 30, when you return to the Lord your God, the same word, when you return to the Lord your God and obey his voice with all your heart and with all your soul, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have mercy on you. He is always waiting to do that. And the rest of the story is the surprising way in which he did that. And we'll be looking at this over the coming weeks. But I want to set the scene today so you could get more of a sense of the force of what is happening as this story progresses. But what can we learn from Elimelech's sad story? I want to suggest there are two things we shouldn't do and one thing that we can always do. The first thing we shouldn't do, don't leave. Don't, don't leave. There's no longer a special place on earth for God's people. We're, we're called to, to go everywhere and fill it. So this isn't necessarily about geography, but this is about closeness to God. Elimelech went away from where God was, and he went away from what God had said. And I just want to ask you this morning, are you doing that? Have you done that? Is it, it might be physical, it's more likely to be emotional. Are you... Do you feel, are you getting closer to God or further away? Now, our relationship with God is really as simple as, you know, one direction of travel or, or another. There's a lot going on in it always. But the image can help us to think what is going on. There are so many reasons why we might be tempted to leave. Something might happen just very suddenly, very seriously, very catastrophically. And it just, your response is like, I've, God has abandoned me. And so <laughs> there's no reason to stay. In fact, I don't want to. That can happen. Or it might be many barely noticeable decisions that, that haven't come from faith. Just a little thing, and, and then another little thing. Maybe just following people around you. Maybe just following your own heart but they end up with you being in a place that you weren't necessarily aiming for, but you realize you're there now. And you're a long way from him. C.S. Lewis put it like this in the screw tape letters. The safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. My observation is that that is a much more common thing to happen to people than dramatic desertion. There's a line in a film, The Country Girl, just about anyone can cope with a crisis 
It's the everyday living that wears you out. If you remember at the start of lockdown, first lockdown, it was obviously horrendous. The prospect of it was terrifying and strange and weird, but there was a bit of a blitz spirit, wasn't there? There was that kind of sense of, okay, well, let's go. We can do this. I'm going to learn to make bread and, and other things. But then the rainbows faded and the applause for key workers subsided. And we had this horrible phrase, new normal. And it was a normal that none of us wanted. Some of the crises we're living through and living in are going to be years in the unraveling. They are going to be normal, normal life. Some of them, we may just remember their effects. Some of them we may just have to live with for a very long time. And this will be the everyday living. The crisis is the immediate, oh my goodness, what are we going to do about that? The everyday living is how do we do that day after day, after month, after year, maybe. And like I've said, there's always plenty going on in our own lives that can make believing God hard. If we're followers of Jesus, how will we respond to the pressures that tempt us away from God, whether or not they're coming from outside the world or whether they're just in us? We need to be conscious of this. We need to actually think. We need to think, where am I going? Like, what is going on? Am I, am I getting closer to God or am I further away from him? This is not a question about how you feel, actually. It is the most precious thing in the world to feel God's presence, to be aware of him, to sense him being really close to you. But to, what we're talking about here isn't that sense of I feel, that, what it feels. It's what I'm doing. Am I following him? Am I going the, going the way I know that he wants me to go? Am I doing the things that I know he wants me to do? Which isn't necessarily about like career choice or house location or things like that. It's about how you are doing those things. Are you doing them in faith? Are you doing them because you feel that God has called you to do this, to believe you for it, to believe him for it? Are you doing these things selflessly? Are you doing these things sacrificially? Are you doing these things with humility, with generosity, with kindness, with patience, with love? That's, that, is, that, is what is, that is what takes us closer to God. And in our own personal experiences, our connections with him, as we read his word, as we look to see him in it and, and, and hear him in it, as we pray, as we repent, we're coming back to him again and again. As we give thanks to him, we're coming to him again and again. As we pray for the good of others, we're coming to him again and again. As we meditate and think about these things, as Mary shared, as we think about that golden thread, as we remind ourselves again and again and again, this is what he's like, this is what he's done, this is who he is. As we obey him, when no one else is looking, or at least when no one else is going to say, I thought you were a Christian. These are the things that bring us close to him. And so is being in the place where he loves to dwell amongst his people, the community of the church. We make our Sunday services and our small groups part of our week rather than part of our month, maybe then we are again and again coming in and receiving and being encouraged and being strengthened and doing this for other people. 
They are key moments of reminding ourselves who God is. They're key moments of hearing him and responding accordingly. One other thing that might be valuable for you, if you're in this sense, if you're feeling this, you're like, I'm not sure. I may feel, I feel like I'm kind of starting to have one step out the door. It's just to meet with a couple of other people. I've recently started something that we call running partners. And you may not feel at all like you're running with God. In fact, the reality may be that you're running or just wandering away from him. But the point of running partners is that there's just three of you. And so it's a place where you can talk about what is really going on in your life. It's a place where you can say some of the seemingly unsayable things that are in your head, what you're thinking, what you're feeling, and when they come out of your head, there is a healing grace to them, which is that people who know God and who love you can hear and listen and care and pray and encourage. Don't leave. Don't leave. You cannot find life away from the giver of life. Nor hope, nor peace. What if you have left in, you know, one way or another? Well, you're probably not listening to this message, but just in case, by God's grace, you are. If you've left, don't stay away. Don't stay. Elimelech may have wrestled long and hard with the decision. We're not told. We don't know if he went weeping or went just kind of thinking, well, it's the thing to do. But we do know that he stayed far longer than he meant to. He intended only to stay for a short time. That's what sojourn means in verse 1. But in verse 2, it says they remained there. And in verse 3, it says he died there. Are there habits that you have got stuck in which are stopping you from coming back to God? They may be thought patterns, which, like I've said, you've just not invited anyone else to hear. And you just need someone else to be able to say, actually, this is the truth. This is the truth about you, the truth about God, or even the truth about that situation. Maybe there are disappointments and hurts that you just haven't dealt with, you haven't received healing for, that God wants to bless you. But you're like, I... Maybe, just very practically, you just made time commitments, which mean that you are just away from his people and it's just hard for you to spend time with him and and with the church. If these these kind of things are going on, you need to make some changes. My experience is that when when we're younger, we think anything can change at any time, partly because it often does at that point. Like you can be just walking through the street and then suddenly your whole life changes. When we get older... Fewer things change with the same degree of suddenness or ease. And what can happen is that we find ourselves in a less than great situation and we basically just think, there's nothing I can do about it. I'm stuck. It's just what I'm like. It's just what they're like. It's just the way it is. I just don't have the time or the energy or the whatever to get around to dealing with it. I totally understand that feeling. I have those thoughts myself. And there is an important thing of acknowledging the reality of what our life is like. But if you stay in that position, if you think this can't change, you are denying the transformative power of the grace of God. You're saying it's just down to you. And it's not. 
Some of you, it's like you're on the, you're on the cusp of a tepid so-called Christianity. You'll come along to church, you know, when you can. And you'll, you'll be kind of nice, best you can. And you'll feel a bit guilty. And that'll be that. And it's just not what God has for you. It's just not what he has for you. He has a life of faith and trust. He has a life in which you are with him and you know him and you walk with him and you bless others. He has things that may not seem at all spectacular, but which will have huge impact on others. He has faith, an adventure of faith. Immediately I say adventure, it sounds like young and everything's moving and changing. It doesn't have to be that at all. It's about believing him and still believing him and going on believing him. If you just feel like, yeah, I've kind of, I'm halfway gone. I don't think I can come back. No, no. The only thing worse than leaving is thinking that you have to stay away. Because there is always a way back for you. And so the third thing, don't leave. If you do, don't stay away. If you have, come home. Come home. I did not tell Hannah, I did not tell Chris this was going to be how I finished my preach. But I had told God, and probably he had told me that this was how I was going to end my preach. And so that's why they brought those contributions. There was no prior arrangement if that resonated with you, if you're like, oh my goodness, they're talking about it now. Yeah, didn't plan it, God planned it. Actually, this happens all the way through the book of Ruth. Things just so happen. And it just so happens that God is telling you today to come home. Elimelech could have done this at any time, but he didn't. Eventually, Naomi realized it was the only choice left to her. She comes back and she says, I've returned empty. It is not the end of her story. She ends her story full. Because home is where the Lord of hope is. Home is Bethlehem, which means the house of bread. It is the place of provision. It is the place of grace and it is the place where God will do so much more than Naomi would ever have asked or imagined. Jesus told a famous story of a man who left his home, who traveled far away in search of the good life, didn't find it. And when he returned in disgrace, he encountered grace, the welcoming arms of his forever loving father it is never too late in this life to come home his welcome is always the same i tell you jesus says there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance as he says to you today come home This is what awaits. Joy, celebration, embrace, love. And the same applies to you if you've never really felt close to God. 
to you, it doesn't feel like coming back. You've, you've never been there. It's like more like coming to him for the first time, but he made you. And he was with you right in the beginning. And you have been away from him. Jesus also said, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. And that is a promise for you today. That for the first time, or for the first time in a long time, you can come home. Wherever you are right now. Wherever you are right now. Physically, or or just in your head, in your heart. The same truth holds for all of us. We all went away from him and we're all offered a way back through his one and only faithful son, Jesus. Jesus, who left the ultimate place of grace, not out of rebellion, but to bring us back with him. Jesus, the son who died, not because of a father's foolishness, but because of the father's love for us. Jesus, who emptied himself, that we might be filled with the goodness of God. Now is a moment for you to respond to that. Now is a moment for you in your heart, in your mind, to to come home. You can speak to him right now. Tell him what happened. It might not even be your fault, but it's caused you to leave or to want to. Tell him you're sorry. Not for the stuff that's not your fault. But for how it's made you respond to him. You don't even have to say, I want to come home. Because in doing those things, you are coming home. And you will receive his loving embrace. And so to help you process that, we're going we're gonna to play a song and... We'll put the lyrics on the screen for those of you who like to be really clear on what the words are. You can just close your eyes. And it's, it's basically a song from God's perspective. And I just want to encourage you, you either can listen to it and, and hear his heart or you can just start praying to him. And what we'll do after we've, after we've listened to the song is we will sing back to him about his faithfulness. And in all of this, I'm inviting you to come home. So we'll stay seated as we listen. And then we'll stand and sing.